Welcome to the Alabaster Jar, a weekly conversation where we take on current issues impacting women at the intersection of faith, theology, and ministry. We are pleased to offer Alabaster Jar as a podcast of Northern Seminary. Today, our host, Dr. Lynn Kohick, is speaking with Dr. Nicole Martin. Nicole received her Master of Divinity from Princeton Theological Seminary and her Doctor of Ministry from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. She is the Senior Vice President for Ministry Impact at the American Bible Society. She is a nationally recognized speaker and has been inducted into the prestigious Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Board of Preachers at Morehouse College. Nicole is the author of Made to Lead, Empowering Women for Ministry and Leaning In, Letting Go, a Linton Devotional. Well, Nicole, I am so glad that you and I get a chance to talk today on the Alabaster Jar. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited about this. You know, it was so fun. A couple of years ago, you and I met in kind of an unlikely space, really. Um, You know, we both are interested in faith communities and learning about other faith communities and for a while have been in conversation with our Jewish friends. And there's this group that meets every June, um, rabbis and other other occupations, uh, Jewish um, people that are working in uh, ministry areas and advocacy, areas and uh we get together a couple of uh christian leaders in various um walks of life and we then we just talk about important things and things that are important to each of our communities and learn from each other and you co-lead that group and through our conversations we just we formed a friendship and i'm just so excited about that I am so excited. I remember it like yesterday because I was like eagerly seeking out friendly faces <laughs> and honestly, women in the room that I could connect with. And I remember, I think we like connected over like bagels and said, yes, hey, let's keep right. in touch. And I'm so, <laughs> so glad that we did. Yes, we really have. And through that, um, I I was able to uh, take a, uh, a, well, I was going to say take a look, but it wasn't that. I started, oh, let me look at uh, Made to Lead, your book, and was immediately just drawn in. Um, it, it is a fantastic book, Made oh, to so Lead. Kind. You you just are so wise and also conversational. I felt like I got to get a, mm. a cup of coffee here and just sit and talk with my friend, Nicole. <laughs> it's a great, yeah. great book. I mean, and I... I read it earlier, and then for this podcast, I reread it and learned new things. You know, as you reread a book, new things pop to the surface. So thanks so much for for um, taking the time to write that book. It was great. What, what prompted you uh, to do that before we dive into the book itself? What, what yeah. prompted you? Well, you are very kind, first of all, and I'm really grateful just to know, you know, when you write a book and someone says they read it, just to know someone read it is both terrifying. (laughs) That wasn't your mother, right? (laughs) Exactly right. (laughs) And it's like this big ball of emotion, like, yay, oh my God. (laughs) I'm so glad you read it. Oh my God, you read it. So I'm very, very grateful. And, you know, I, I was never intending to write that book. I was, I was hoping to have read that book. And I was, you know, new in ministry. And when you do a general search for women in ministry, everything you find is the defense. It is, you know, the apologetic of whether or not women should be there. And 
I just wanted some direction. I wanted some guidance. I just wanted somebody to show me, you know, how to operationalize my calling. And I remember um, I was doing a I was doing a program where uh, um, we could meet different pastors and leaders. It was a group of us. We called ourselves Sacred Spaces. We got a grant, I think, from Austin Seminary, and we met a group of pastors in D.C. And I remember this uh, gentleman who was in his 80s, and he said, "You know." Uh, I was searching for an answer. I got the book that was supposed to have the answer. It was about church planting. He said he got to the end of the book and the author says, and if you really want to know how to do this, go see the guy's name. And he was like, I put down the book and I realized I'm looking for the book I'm supposed to write. And I remember when he said that there was a certain resonance in me. Stop looking for the book you're supposed to write and just write it. And that's where it came from. Well, and I'm so glad you did, you know, and I've got a couple of questions um, for us to dive into. Uh, yeah. Um, and there are more, but we only have so much time. So I'm going to yeah. start with some that percolated to the top for me. Um, you talk about having sacred space mm-hmm. in your life mm-hmm. um, as a leader. I, and, you know, I resonate with that. I know we all should, but I thought, why, why is it so hard? You know, how do you yeah. make it a reality? And yeah. how, how should we think about this idea of sacred space? Absolutely. I'm so glad you asked that question. You know, it, I always um, wrestle with what does sacred space look like? And I'm coming to the conclusion that sacred space will look different for each of us in every season of our lives. And for me, the general core of it is I cannot find any biblical example of a woman called by God who did not have some transforming intimate relationship with Jesus. Not one. I mean, Hagar has an encounter with an angel that changes her life. We could go through the roll call. Every woman has some level of relationship with Christ, and there's an intimacy there that allows her to then go and lead ministry. And when I think about even women in ministry that I know and love, all of them enter this space almost from a desperation of having to be with Jesus before they do what they do. So as a woman... We know we're going to enter a space that's probably male-dominated. We're entering a space that's probably full of opposition. So there is a certain desperation that says, if you're going to do this work, you have got to cling to Jesus. There is no way to successfully minister in this environment as a woman without a relationship with Jesus. And when I think about women preachers that I've heard, uh, women leaders, the distinctive factor for each of them is a deep relationship with Christ. So, you know, in my single days, that meant hours just basking in the presence of God, you know, with the window open, Lord, what do you have to say? And then after my children were born, it was like the audio Bible while brushing my teeth. <laughs> and, you know, exactly. um, and and it doesn't, I, I have been prescribed many times, you must do the 5 a.m. Or you must, you know, do the hour. If it's anything short of an hour, you are not with the Lord. But I've come to realize Sacred space is not about my doing. It is literally about walking into this invitation to just be with God. And learning what that looks like for every season for each of us, I think is the number one factor that will help us to be successful in ministry. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I, I resonated so much with uh, with you saying that uh, it's not about doing. Yeah. As though we have to create or manufacture this. It's about, I mean, 
God's already there. Yes. Already yes. with us, already in us. And and so we have this companion yes. that uh, we turn to that strengthens us for each each moment. Yeah. You know, uh, you talk about confidence or actually the lack mm -hmm. of confidence. And yeah. you use this image, which just stuck with me. I love it. Mm -hmm. Insecurity is like acid. Mm. It will burn a hole in anything. Yeah. I thought, you know, that's yep. that sounds harsh. Yes. But it really it's my experience that uh insecurity is like acid. It yeah. really will burn holes. Yeah. Um, but it it's so hard for women to know what confidence looks like because yeah. you know, a, a woman, if she's confident someone mm -hmm. might label her as assertive or bossy exactly. or we know the other b word yes um you know and so talk to us about that and then you bring out um the stories of deborah and jail in such a great way um that i think also would be i'd love to hear you talk a little more about them oh my goodness so you know again one of the challenges of writing a book like this is you can get off you can give off an air that you know and that you've arrived and true confession i have not yet arrived <laughs> i am i am still i still struggle with my imposter syndrome i still struggle with my lack of confidence but i see the effect of it and i see it not just in myself but i see it in my other sisters in ministry and one of the reasons why i wanted to bring out so many stories is because i wanted to in some ways normalize you know, to say this isn't my problem or her problem, this is our problem. But I also wanted to kind of bring a real tone to real moments of how this is happening. I have seen, and I've been in conversations even recently with women who I've kind of looked at a distance and said, oh my gosh, she's so confident. Um, or even women who have been in um, negative situations where, you know, they, their, their compensation for the lack of, of confidence comes off as, as an arrogance that doesn't make room for anyone else at the table. And when you peel back that layer, you realize the problem with a lack of confidence is it can either mask itself as pride, which is damaging, or it can mask itself as deep, deep um, low self-esteem. And that's also a problem. So, you know, in some cases we say, oh, well, this is humility. This is why I'm so humble. I'm not going to raise my hand and say, I can do it. I'm so humble. I'm not going to show up for this big opportunity that feels too big for me to handle. And then at the same time, you can also say, you know, I, I don't have the confidence, so I might as well just push myself out there and be the loudest voice in the room so that nobody knows. Well, both of them lead to the same source, which is lack of confidence. So that's why I think the, the solution I wrestle with for myself, and really it's more of a question than it is a solution, what does it look like for me to have deep, unwavering confidence in God? So, you know, the realest example for me is I just took on a new role, um, you know, a role that had greater responsibilities, a bigger title, a greater range of responsibility. And in no way, shape or form at any point in this process did I feel capable. <laughs> like yes, the entire yep. way I thought, oh, my God. I'm going to be pummeled. And when I kind of walked through all my fears, my deepest fear was a fear of failure, a fear of vulnerability, a fear of being ashamed. I'm going to get out there and I'm going to be ashamed. And confidence in God, it was literally while I was, I went for a walk and I was crying out to God like, Lord, if I take this job, I might fail. If I don't take this job, I might miss you. So what am I supposed to do? 
And the Lord brought a scripture to my mind, one that I have taped on the wall. And my little disclaimer here, I know that the scripture is talking about Israel. I know that. And for this moment, it was about me. And it was Psalm 46, 5. And it literally says on my wall, God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. And I know the context here is Israel, but what I needed was, Lord, I'm afraid that I will be put to shame, but the but God's word is clear. I will not let you be put to shame. Lord, I'm afraid that I will fail, but God's word is clear. I will not let you fall. I will not let your foot be dashed against the stone. Oh, and by the way, when you mess up, when you have failures, my grace is sufficient. So- Amen. This is why I think the sacred space connects with the confidence because when I am deeply connected with Christ and I'm not afraid of my own failure, now I'm like, all right, Lord, you're out there. What are you going to do? You, you've got yourself out there through me. So what's going to happen? And when you look at the examples of Deborah and JL, you see that dependence. Deborah says, okay, you want me to go with you. The victory is going to belong to a woman. Of course, people thinking that she's talking about her. No, no, I'll go with you. Because God's going to succeed with or without me, with or without you. And, and as JL kind of rises to the scene, there is a certain swagger that JL has, <laughs> a certain like, you know, I know you want water. Let me give you milk, put you to sleep. I, I will use the tools in my own toolbox to achieve a God-given purpose. So when I can be confident in God, then the confidence in me is, yes, Lord, I, I'm afraid of failure, but you have given me some skills. I may not be able to make a poison, but I can make some milk, you know? That's right. That's right. And what I loved about that, too, is we, we tend to think of Deborah, the judge, right, who orders Sisera into the, um, yeah. the you know, the... Um, she wait, orders Barak. Yep. She Yes, thank you. Mm -hmm. She orders Barak, who's yep. going to be fighting That's right. Sisera. And uh, she's the the one we should aspire to. Yes. But you you make such an excellent point that JL, um, all her life made tents That's and right. she was very good at making tents. Yes. And she used the capacity yes. for doing that. And also she was aware of mm -hmm. what God was doing around her so that when the moment came, yeah. her skill set she used for God's victory. Yes. And it just made me think, you know, we, we every everything we do can can be important for God as we yes. keep in step with God, can be important for his kingdom. And it's not those who are quote unquote leaders yeah. necessarily like uh, Deborah, the mm -hmm. judge. Mm -hmm. It can be JL who's uh, putting up her family tent yes. at different times as, as a nomad might yep. do. And, and yet that, you know, those skills were used. There's no yeah. unimportant parts. There's no unimportant duties. Yeah. It's about faithfulness wherever Amen. God has called us. Amen. And why, why would I assume that God couldn't use my skill sets, my makeup, my personhood? Why would I assume he couldn't use me for a big task? Why, you know, our default is God must not be thinking of me. He must be thinking of XYZ person. No, if God could use the slingshot, he can use the tent peg, which means he can use whatever you have. <laughs> Amen. That's exactly right. Oh. You know, and so I love how um, you always circle back to, um, you know, what God, what God is doing. But I, yeah. I also love <laughs> how open you are about your own journey. You mentioned just a few minutes ago that 
you had a um, certain period in your life in ministry where you were single yeah. and you talk about a woman's love life yes. and um, how uh, people would talk about your love life yeah. and you started thinking, about loving life, yes. you know, and just, uh, so yeah, talk a little bit about that journey, you know, yes. because people are very, uh, yes. it's amazing to me how they can step into what I would consider a private space and just yes. tell you oh my <laughs> what God. you should do with your love life. <laughs> Especially women. So, you know, I, I remember, first of all, I really cherished my single days. And I, like all seasons of life, most of the time you have to look back in retrospect and say, oh, that was fun. In the time, you know, it doesn't feel so great. But I'll never forget, I was leading a singles ministry and I had all these on all this unsolicited advice. So, you know, on the one hand, people would say, oh, what do you do? And you say, oh, I'm in ministry. They're like, oh, so you're going to be a nun? Well, I mean, <laughs> I didn't say I was Catholic. I mean, I said I was in ministry or very well-meaning, well-intentioned people who would say, I'm so sorry that, you know, you've chosen ministry over marriage. What? Like, how does that, how does that correlate? But after a while, you know, that those comments started to get to me and I started thinking that I needed to wait for life, for love to happen. And it was a really important moment for me. And I made a joke about it, but I think I, I felt like it was so important. At a certain point, I was like, why are you sitting around? Why are you sitting around waiting for something that will happen to you that may or may not happen for you? When you wake up 20 years from now, what do you want to have said about your 30s, you know, your 20s? So I literally created a sheet. It was called Operation Get a Life. <laughs> <laughs> I am not waiting for my life. I am going to have a life and enjoy it. And I made my list of things I was waiting to do when, quote, love found me and started really deepening my love life with God. And that's how I started doing salsa and traveling and ironically and all of those things. When I did meet my husband, I was able to invite him into my operation. You know, like, hey, listen, I can't go out on Tuesday nights. I got salsa. You can come with me if you want, but... <laughs> And you did. And it was great. So I'm, I'm glad, you know, I think, I think women who are single in ministry, there's a, a certain, um, there's, there's always this prescription pushed on you. When are you going to get married? And if you do get married, when are you going to stop ministry? But that is not, that doesn't have to be God's way. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I know you as a courageous woman, um, in so many ways. And I think, having a chapter in this book on the female body is one more evidence of your courage. You just take it on. Um, it's, um, you know, you talk about how men just are not evaluated by their physical appearance for mm -hmm. the most part. Yep. Um, but women are, and mm -hmm. that can lead to self-consciousness, yes. uh, depression. It's yes. the insecurity piece, you know, right. kind of coming uh, coming back, mm -hmm. how how are we to think differently yeah. about our bodies, more biblically, yeah. more faithfully about our bodies? Oh my gosh, you know this is that was one chapter that was hard for me to write only because I had so many stories, so many stories that made that made me saddened and that made me grieve. Um, this past week, speaking to a friend of mine who's a woman clergy member, she was going to a service. Um, it was a Pentecostal service, and she was aware that, you know, women's ordination may not be affirmed there. Um, but she was, you know, 
invited on behalf of her organization to make some remarks. So she asked the planner, what should I wear? You know, she's just, you know, I just want to make sure that I'm not wearing something out of line. The response that she got in return was, the men will be in clergy attire, the women will be wearing black. So as a clergy woman, she had to make a choice. So she said in that moment, you know what, I'm just going to wear black because I'm not coming to make a statement about my ordination in the presence of people who don't ordain, I'll be myself. To which the um, person organizing the event, an older gentleman, said to her, you know what, honey, it doesn't matter what you wear because you look so pretty. In that moment, the dynamic shifts. It's less about I'm coming to make a statement about what I'm saying. I'm coming to honor and to you know be invited into this event. It's more about it doesn't matter what you say because how I see you supersedes what you say. Countless examples of women preachers preaching their heart out and being told after they came off the stage by men and women, oh, your shoes look so good. Um, countless examples of women trying to figure out, you know, how to how to handle your hair, little things. The constant looking down, you know, means your hair is going to fall in, in your face. So you got to tuck the hair or you got to make a plan for the hair before you get up there. Because if you tuck too many times, then it's going to draw. You know, these are these are things that I I want my male colleagues to know about. I want them to know when we go into an event, I do have to think about what I wear and how that, what statement that makes. I do have to think about, do I wear my favorite shoes or do I wear the shoes that are going to look a certain way? And I think owning that helps us to create a plan. So for me, as I hear these stories, I do want us to leave room for lament. This is the society in which we live. This is I have to raise my two little girls to recognize there will always be a tension between what you want to wear and what you have to wear in order to be heard. And I hate that, but I want them to grow up in that reality. Um, so, you know, part of that chapter was owning the embodiment of the gospel. And this came to a head for me when I was pregnant. I was, you know, at the time, um, I, I've, you know, I think this book was 2016, right? So I'd already had my first child. And I made a joke to uh, one of my closest friends, who's also a clergywoman. I was like, "We should write a book on pregnant in the pulpit." Like that's yes, yes. What I, what I realized is my embodiment of life, literally the physical appearance of me carrying a child, was uncomfortable for people because it symbolized that I was a woman who could procreate. I mean, this was in your face <laughs> for some men, and, and for some women, it was very uncomfortable. But I also felt such an indwelling of God because I was a walking miracle. You know, this is not a guarantee. God blessed me to be able to do this. And it was in that moment that I realized what a blessing it is as a woman for me to be able to embody the gospel, to carry the gospel, to carry it. So when I preached in December about Mary carrying Jesus the gospel became more real to me in that moment than ever before. When I preached Habakkuk about, you know, write the vision and wait for it, that idea of waiting for the vision to come forth took on brand new levels for me. So now, now I'm walking into a new season. A, lament and own what the world will see when they see you. But B, own that God made you in this fullness of the gospel with the ability to carry, whether you can have a child or not. But as a woman, God made your body in a way that he might get glory. And I think that's, that's, right. that's the constant 
tension. It's not fun, but it is what it is. So we might as well own it. <laughs> and we got to support each other. We yes. absolutely have to support each other. Let's not say those other things, um, yes. like you mentioned oh at the God. beginning, that that sexualize and thus minimize. I mean, that's what's happening. Even though the man felt he was complimenting, he looked so pretty. Yes. I think there's a there's a failure recognized that when you talk about my physical appearance, you have now made that more important than what I have to say. And I didn't do anything to That's get right. this to look this way. I mean, That's this right. is just whether I'm, you know, tall or short mm -hmm. or um, wide or yes. thin or whatever the, you know, physical contours, mm -hmm. hair color, yep. whatever. It's whatever. It's just it, it, it just simply is. And I yeah. think because there's there's so much we don't control about our you know our physical appearance it creates just incredible anxiety because like i'm <laughs> i used to joke i'm five three if i stand real tall <laughs> and real straight you know yeah. and so i've said hey for my glorified body yeah. i'm gonna put in for uh five seven <laughs> you know i don't know if we can kind of change it or not but uh you know okay yeah uh, but i think that idea of um you mentioned incarnation yes. uh with mary uh carrying our our lord jesus and i think about the resurrected body too yeah. and how uh god right. loves what he's made and yeah. will perfect it in immortality, Amen. both men and women. Yeah, mm -hmm. and so we are, uh, we we are to embrace embrace that. And I love your line; <laughs> it's pretty direct. You say, "Beloved sister, you are no longer allowed to have body bashing sessions about yourself <laughs> or anyone else." <laughs> and that I thought, is yeah, true. That is a good one. It oh is. My gosh. We, we have to renew our minds around the truth that God uh, loves us and made us and resist the, the siren call of our culture that wants to sexualize us and thus minimize really um, the, all that God has, has made for us to do, the good works he's made for us to walk therein. Amen. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You've, you've talked about your, in this book, your leadership journey. Um, mm -hmm. Are there things now looking back that you wish you had known mm -hmm. at the beginning of this leadership journey? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I wish I had known that, um, the, I wish I had known a little bit more about the times. And what I mean is, I knew at that time that God would allow me to maximize my gifts within and beyond the church. I mean, that's why I wrote the chapter about exploring your passions and basically, you know, develop your own holy hustle because so many women are trying to be on staff or pastor and economically that, that may not sustain them. But I think we've always seen that as a lower. If you can't be in church, then go ahead and be in a nonprofit. If you can't pastor, then I guess you should be a professor. I wish I had known that that God God's uh, calling for women to lead is authenticated in every sphere. That that my being a leader in church is just as impactful as my being a leader in the home or in the classroom or in the nonprofit. And I I, I say that because when I had to make a shift from direct church ministry into nonprofit, psychologically I did feel like I was taking a step down. Like, mm -hmm. I felt like, am I missing out on the limelight, you know, the central space mm -hmm. for where God moves? 
But I now know that God's calling for me in my space here has just as much impact. In fact, positions me to be even more impactful for the church and with the church. And I wish I had told, I wish I had someone to tell me that back then. Yeah. And we'll get to your your new role in just a minute. But I, I did want to, you know, I say I resonate so much with with the book. I, I could see so many of my experiences reflected on your pages, but I mm-hmm. think it, uh, I, I also realized and would love to get your thoughts on the fact that, you know, you and I, I know we've had mm-hmm. different, different experiences. You as a mm-hmm. African-American woman yeah. have faced challenges that myself as a white woman mm-hmm. uh, didn't face. And mm-hmm. so I, I wonder maybe if you could talk a little bit about what those might be and then also how I can, as your white sister in Christ, maybe mitigate that damage, bring yeah. justice to the space. Yeah work with you? Yeah. Thank you for asking that question. You know, I think one of the things that last year and last year, 2020, um, one of the things that, that the racial tensions of 2020 brought to the forefront is the idea that as a black woman, I do tend to absorb a lot of pain that I often don't feel like I can afford to express. So as a woman in leadership, we are always calculating how much of myself can I be in this place? It's an unfortunate thing, but we're always calculating if I cry in this moment, will that accentuate or detract from what I have to say? (laughs) You know, do I need to go in the bathroom, have my cry moment and come out and have this meeting? Or is crying in this meeting really a safe space for me? Um, But I'd say that's, that's like on 10 when you think about what it means to be a black woman. So, you know, um, right after George Floyd was murdered, I found myself negotiating a lot more internally, negotiating how much of my pain as a black person can I share in this moment? How much of my pain as a black woman bearing the pains of my brothers as fathers and uncles and sons, and also bearing my pain of knowing there was a black woman who was also murdered, but did not get the same level of attention. It's like the constant reinforcement reinforcement of know your place can be doubly hard. So I would say um, one of the best gifts of every Christian, but especially of white women to black women and women of color, is the gift of solidarity, of being with and not looking on. Um, The best messages, text messages, phone calls I had during that time from my white sisters were phone calls that said, I am mad with you. I am angry with you. The hardest text messages and phone calls that I got were, I feel sorry for you. I'm so sorry this is happening to you. Like, don't stand on the outside. Come and be with me. Isn't that the message of the cross? That the that the word became flesh and, flesh and dwelt among us. Come and sit with me in this pain. Bear this burden with me. When you see that I make comments at the table and they're overlooked, speak the comment and say, well, you know, Nicole just said this. So let me say yeah. it again. Yes. Um, but yes. I think the gift of the body of Christ is solidarity. And I think that is one of the best gifts of sisterhood that we can offer to each other. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I want to celebrate with you your new responsibilities that you've hinted at so far, uh, (laughs) the American Bible Society. And uh, I'm going to hear with our listeners, this is hot off the press. So I'm excited. Uh, Tell us what you're 
uh, what the doors the Lord is opening now. Oh my goodness. You know, uh, in the context of this conversation, I can honestly say this is overwhelming and exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Um, (laughs) But I'm, I'm now the senior vice president of ministry impact at American Bible society. Um, I'm one of uh, three SVPs. So we've got an SVP of advancement, one, um, SVP of operations and me and the president. Congratulations and well-deserved. Thank you. That's so so exciting. Yeah, that's so exciting. Yeah. So, you know, in this beautiful opportunity, I have a chance to steward our global and domestic ministries through translation, distribution, armed services, trauma healing, and what we call our Faith and Liberty Discovery Center and Initiative. Um, And as I've been, you know, praying through this time, here's what I know for sure, because there's a lot I don't know. What I know for sure is God has called me to this, not so that it will be about me, but God has called me to this so that this can be about him. And that is what I'm convinced of, that God will use me as a vessel for his glory so that our partners, our ministry, and our impact will grow, not because of me, but because of what God wants to do prayerfully through me and with me, but he's going to do it without me as well. (laughs) So (laughs) that's what I know. And I'm excited about it. Oh, and you know, the, the, uh, one of the themes from your, uh, from your book and what you've just said is the idea of just being faithful. The yeah. Lord produces the yeah. the results that bring him honor and glory, but you're stepping out in faith and yeah. pledged to be faithful Amen. Uh, by his strength. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. Can you tell me maybe one project? Because I've known about a little bit about the area of church relations and, yeah. and trauma. Maybe yeah. you want to uh, share a little bit about that with the listeners and maybe some other projects uh, for American Bible Society. I mean, it's just such a great organization. So tell us just a little bit about what's kind of on your plate and what's next. Absolutely. So there are many things that I'm excited about right now. Um, you know, you and I've talked about our trauma healing work, which is just such a blessing for such a time as this. Um, so if you go to traumahealinginstitute.org, people will find ways to join a healing group. And then after you've participated in a healing group, you can attend a training and you can be trained to facilitate a healing group in your church, in your community. And this is all about bringing the healing power of God's word to the reality of suffering in our lives. So it's real, it's pressing. You can do that today. And that's traumahealinginstitute.org. Another area that I'm very excited about is our translation work. I mean, we've been involved in Bible translation for many years through our global partners. Um, We're engaged with a group called Every Tribe, Every Nation. We're engaged through Illuminations.Bible. But the the interesting, and you know what, at another time I have to tell you more about this, because translation is the embodiment of the gospel for every stage of the process. Yes, from yes. the translator on the field to the consultant who does the QA to the publisher. I mean, all of this has to be led by the spirit. So I think one of the best things we can do is pray. And then secondly, we can consider how can we help? You know, um, there may be uh, languages that we can adopt. There may be things that we can do. So a lot of that information is also available on our website. I could go on and on because I'm kind of excited about this work. But those oh, are the yeah. ones that come not, to my mind. That, uh... Oh, and my last thing, last thing. Okay. Yes, so yes. we just opened the Faith and Liberty Discovery Center in Philadelphia. It is uh, an advocacy center that's designed for groups and educators and people to just come through to see how the Bible has played a role in um, as we've come together as a nation. So 
really hope that you'll come to that as well. And that's faithandliberty.bible, I believe. <laughs> Let me double awesome. Share. And we'll make sure that the, all those things are posted um, Please, that would be on, on the page that, yes. uh, that people can go to. Yeah, for that. Wow. Well, yes, we need to have you back on Alabaster Jar again to tell us more about uh, about all of that. But thanks so much for spending this time with us. Thank um, you so much. It's so great to visit Nicole. And many blessings um, on, this, on this new adventure, this new chapter yes. in your adventure with the Lord. Thank, Thank you. you so much. You've been listening to another episode of The Alabaster Jar. Today, we want to say thanks to you, our listeners, for joining us on this journey. We recently passed 10,000 downloads, and we look forward to bringing you many more conversations where we take on issues that impact women at the intersection of faith, theology, and ministry. If you believe in the work that we are doing here on The Alabaster Jar, please share this podcast with a friend and hit subscribe so that you can be notified each time we upload. Join us back here next week for another episode of the Alabaster Jar Podcast.